Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 129, Giants on Wall Street. I am Neil. There's currently a race that many have been following on Wall Street. Which company will be the first to reach a trillion-dollar market cap? There are four legitimate contenders in this race. Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, and Microsoft. But there is something interesting about this race. It's an arbitrary one. The race to a trillion dollars ends up hiding a much more interesting development that has been unfolding on Wall Street for the past few years. We are seeing a select group of corporate giants gain influence in investor dollars. For many people, their rise is drawing into question whether or not this time is different. Are we seeing a new breed of corporate giant? Companies that have found a way to remain at the top indefinitely. We're going to investigate that topic in today's episode. In terms of Wall Street giants, there's five. Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Facebook. Now, taking a look at the market caps for these five, you're going to see a little bit of a distinction found within the five. So Apple, and again, these market caps, of course, are changing day by day. But roughly speaking, Apple, $940 billion market cap. Amazon, $875 billion market cap. And Amazon has been moving up in that race. They've been looking... A little bit better, you should say, in the past year. Alphabet, $836 billion market cap. Microsoft, $807 billion market cap. That is why those four are positioned as the most likely to be the first to reach a trillion dollar market cap. But you also have Facebook, $600 billion market cap. I think we should include Facebook in this group of new corporate giants on Wall Street. If we combine those five companies, they total $4.1 trillion of market cap. That's a little bit more than 16.5% of the entire S&P 500. It's a big number. It's a big percentage. And what this has done is it's raised concerns among a lot of investors that we may be in some kind of tech bubble, or even worse, today's giants are gaining way too much power over the broader market. You're seeing more and more discussion over how these giants impact the overall market in terms of daily fluctuations in price. The thing is, when you look back at history, you get a very different viewpoint of all this. Wall Street is very familiar with corporate giants. If we go back to the 1960s and 1970s, power was much more centralized at the top. You had the top five companies back then make up more than 20% of the S&P 500. In fact, if you go back into the early 1960s, it was approaching 30%. Today, we're right around 17%. Over at AboveAvalon.com, in this week's article, The Race to a Trillion, in Exhibit 1, 
I have the market capitalization of the top five companies in S&P 500 as a percent of the overall S&P 500. You could track this going back to 1960s. And what you'll see is that, yes, there is no question that the past couple of years, we have seen a dramatic rise among those top five companies in terms of their size versus the overall market. But from a historical perspective, things still seem a little bit benign. We are not hitting some all-time record in terms of power concentration. Turning our attention to just the largest company in the market, during the 1960s and 1970s, the largest public company represented somewhere between 7% and 9% of the overall S&P 500. Today, Apple, which is the largest public company, represents 4% of the S&P 500. So it's not that we're seeing one or two very large giants take hold of this market. Instead, what we're seeing is a group of five clearly gaining momentum over the past few years, but still having plenty of upside to get larger, to represent a larger portion of this market before we start hitting all-time records. As I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, I don't think the interesting discussion here is to figure out which one of these giants will be the first to reach a trillion-dollar market cap. That's pretty much an arbitrary number. We see this every time a major market cap milestone is passed, such as $800 billion, $900 billion. If we go into the future, I'm sure at one point we may be talking about a $2 trillion market cap. Those numbers, that's not what's important here. Instead, I think there's a lot more value found in analyzing these giants and taking a look at, is there something special? Is there something different found with today's corporate giants versus the past? Versus the giants from the 1960s? The 1970s, where you had AT&T, IBM. Of course, they were very different companies back then, but those were the giants back then. How did those companies compare to today's giants? Historically, there has been diversification among the largest public companies. If we go back and look at the top five companies each year, there have been representatives from different segments of the economy. Tech, industrial, energy, financial sectors, each have been represented. Many look at today's giants and conclude that such diversification has disappeared. You could see how that could be alarming for some people. You could see how that may raise warning flags. People are thinking this is clearly different from the past. However, upon closer examination, a different picture comes into focus. There is still diversity at the top. I don't think these giants amount to just five technology companies. Reality is very different. Apple is a design company selling tools that empower people. Amazon is a retailer focused on offering the best retail experience imaginable. Microsoft, 
an enterprise-focused services company. Microsoft's focus on helping people get work done. Google, they're a services company. Their focus is delivering data capturing tools to as many people as possible. Facebook, another services company, but this one, well, it's focused on providing curated versions of the web. It's another way of saying properties like Facebook and Instagram. Those five companies, they rely on different business models to form unique customer relationships. The fact that so few people talk about is that each company has gotten to where it is today without interrupting the other's business models. Sure, we see a little bit of back and forth at the edges. Facebook and Google, they're both offering prime real estate for advertisers. You see Amazon entering Google's search territory. But things have remained shockingly benign when it comes to all-out wars among the five giants. Along with there being an incredible amount of diversification among these five giants, the other thing that jumped out at me is that the five giants aren't treated and viewed equally on Wall Street. Each has different business models, but they also possess unique narratives. Some are stronger than others. Amazon has what I think is the strongest narrative out of the bunch. Amazon is viewed as having the most defensible business model. The company basically is positioning itself as a type of utility that will eventually own the most cost-efficient and effective way of getting goods transferred from merchants to people's homes. How do we verify that Amazon has a strong narrative? Look at the way the market reacts to Amazon announcing M&A activity. When we have news of Amazon entering a new industry, we had grocery, now we have pharmacy, we have significant market cap losses found among the industry's existing players. So we're not quite sure what's going to happen in that space in the future, but the market is set. The market is determined to penalize existing players and reward Amazon. Why? Amazon is viewed as having the better business model. Amazon is viewed as having the stronger relationship with the customer. Now let's look at Facebook and Google. Those companies are viewed as being more open to competition. There's a greater threat that someone new, a new entity, will be able to grab users' attention with different kinds of data capturing services. And that would hurt Facebook and Google. But we do see that the market is still rewarding the two companies for what appears to be a more predictable services revenue stream, all based on delivering ads. And then we go to Apple. Apple is at the bottom of the group in terms of narratives. There continues to be a significant amount of doubt regarding Apple's ability to keep coming up with new products that people love. This skepticism has surrounded Apple for decades, and I actually think it's used by the company as a way of motivating employees to surprise the world. At this point, some of you may be thinking, wait a second, 
Didn't I record an episode a few months ago about Apple having a new Wall Street story, a narrative that's based on capital allocation? When am I talking about Apple has a narrative based on products? I don't think the overall marketplace agrees with my theory regarding Apple being judged as a capital allocation story. And the primary reason I think that is that Apple shares are still trading at a discount to the overall market. There is a portion of the marketplace that doesn't want exposure to Apple and instead wants exposure to the other giants. When we then add the topic of Apple buyback into this discussion, I think what's going on is that the Apple shareholder base has seen significant changes over the years. And the current shareholder base does view Apple as a capital allocation story. And if you're looking at how current Apple shareholders judge Apple, it's not by quarterly iPhone sales. It's not even judged by how Apple is going to come up with new products. It's judged by capital allocation. So while Apple trades at a discount to the overall market, we have Amazon, who I think has the strongest overall narrative on Wall Street, trading at the highest multiple among the five giants. When it comes to valuing the giants, we're not going to spend too much time on this topic. I actually dedicated a portion of one of the daily updates sent to Above Avalon members on valuation. So for more details, you can check out that daily update. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. But for this episode, we can focus on one valuation metric, and that is operating cash flow yield. This is taking operating cash flow, dividing it by market cap. For the following calculations, I used fiscal year 2017 operating cash flow. So another way of saying that is I used trailing operating cash flow. So here are the operating cash flow yields for the five giants. Amazon, 2%. Facebook, 4%. Alphabet, 5%. Microsoft, 5%. And Apple, 7%. At first, it's very easy to look at these numbers and think that the higher the yield, the better the valuation as if Apple is throwing off 7% operating cash flow, whereas Amazon's throwing off just 2%. However, it's the other way around. The lower the operating cash flow yield, the higher the valuation metric. This is very similar to bond dynamics. And so in our examples, if we just focus on Amazon and Apple, because they are at the two ends here, the market is currently willing to pay three times more for a dollar of Amazon operating cash flow versus a dollar of Apple operating cash flow. So why are Amazon's cash flows valued at a higher multiple versus Apple's cash flows? It all has to do with the future. It has to do with how the market views Amazon's future cash flow stream. Apple's future cash flow stream. Because Amazon has a stronger narrative, it's viewed as the company with the most defensible business model, the marketplace thinks Amazon is going to see more robust growth in cash flow versus Apple. We could also say possibly the market thinks cash flow will be a little bit more predictable with Amazon versus Apple's business model. It is this belief that you see stronger growth and more predictable cash flow streams that gives people, gives market participants confidence to pay a higher price 
for the privilege of having a small share of those future cash flows. Now, up to now, we've primarily focused on the differences between the giants. We've talked about how they rely on different business models. We talked about how they have different narratives and how they're valued differently on Wall Street. But the five largest public U.S. companies do have one thing in common. Software prowess. Three of the five were able to harness the power found with software in the mobile era to achieve a type of scale that was once unimaginable. All five giants relied on software advancements to come up with new customer experiences. The result? Facebook and Alphabet cater to more than 2 billion customers each. Microsoft and Apple have more than a billion customers each. Some market observers are wondering if the combination of software prowess and sheer scale has resulted in a different kind of corporate giant. Have today's giants gained so much power thanks to their capabilities and loyal customers that they will be able to avoid the inevitable fall from grace? You're seeing similar questions being pointed at non-U.S. companies as well, such as Alibaba and Tencent. Today's corporate giants hold considerable power in two ways, cash and data. Four of the five largest public U.S. companies have remarkably strong balance sheets. And all of these numbers, by the way, are available in this week's article over at AboveAvalon.com, so you don't have to quickly jot these down. The following totals reflect net cash, so I'm excluding the debt, and these are as of the end of March 2018. Apple, $145 billion of net cash. Alphabet, $100 billion. Microsoft, $55 billion. Facebook, $44 billion. And Amazon, Six billion. If we turn to cash flow, which is my favorite metric, the following totals reflect operating cash flow. This is for fiscal year 2017. Apple, 64 billion. Microsoft, 40 billion. Alphabet, 37 billion. Facebook, 24 billion. And Amazon, 18 billion. So we have the combination of a strong balance sheet, superior cash flow. What does that do? It provides management teams flexibility to fund and pursue ambitious agendas and ideas. Each of the five giants has seen a dramatic rise in R&D expense in recent years. We went into a lot of detail regarding Apple's R&D back in episode 122, an Apple R&D bonanza. According to my estimate, Apple will spend more on R&D in 2018 than it did from 1998 to 2011 combined. I think that is a remarkable statistic. If we look at R&D expense for fiscal year 2017, Alphabet, $17 billion, Microsoft, $13 billion, Apple, $12 billion, Amazon, $12 billion, and Facebook, $8 billion. That Amazon, $12 billion number is my estimate. Amazon includes R&D within its technology and content line items. So if you look through Amazon's financial filings, you're not going to see $12 billion. <laughs> That's from me. When we then bring in topics like artificial intelligence and machine learning into this discussion, some people think these giants derive value not from just having users, but having access to users' data. So there's a growing number of market observers and pundits that see a new breed of monopoly being born, a data monopoly. 
Accordingly, this group thinks data, or the lack thereof, is a formidable barrier to entry. It can prevent others from competing with today's giants. So you can see in this scenario, well, government regulation will be the only thing capable of slowing down the giants. This is why you're seeing so many people begin to talk about this topic, about today's giants becoming way too powerful and that there's no way to stop them. Well, very often what they're referring to is all of these companies having incredible resources in terms of cash, talent, but also data. People think that having those data capturing services gives these companies an advantage that means now is different. The era we're in is different from previous generations or previous eras. Well, this may be a controversial statement, but odds are good that today's giants won't be tomorrow's giants. I don't subscribe to this narrative that today's giants are so powerful and so capable. They have established these walls around them, built these deep and wide boats that no one will ever be able to compete with them. I don't subscribe to that idea, that notion. Despite some giants being viewed as more defensible than others, each is fragile. New companies, some of which haven't been founded yet, will rise up and compete with today's leaders for market supremacy. Critics will listen to this and argue that my thinking is too old school. Today's companies simply hold too much power via the cash and the user data. Those items mean that these giants just won't be disrupted. I disagree with that idea. It is easy to think that today's giants are where they are today because of a particular product, a feature, or a core competency. However, this isn't the case. Instead, each company has developed a culture and process to create value for customers. It is this process and the sheer level of difficulty found with changing such a process that will serve as a roadblock for today's giants. Over time, new forces will rise that will challenge these existing processes and require today's giants to come up with new ways of thinking. It is the degree to which management teams can respond and adjust to these new forces that will determine the amount of success in staying at the top. I don't think there is anything found with today's giants that prevents new companies from leveraging technologies to deliver customer values in new ways. It's not like there is an innovation black hole where advancements only come from the five giants. Instead, I think tomorrow's giants, they're going to use today's giants, today's leaders as stepping stones to reach new heights. One example of this will be the ways companies have been using smartphones to rethink transportation in terms of ride sharing. When we look at startups, I think you're going to see a class of startups that will be able to innovate in the areas of artificial intelligence and machine learning despite not having access to the quantity of data that the giants possess. In essence, I think way too many people are positioning data and scale 
as moats that will protect today's giants. Neither will prove true. When we take a look at the five giants and some of their behavior, some of their actions over the past few years, I think they're keenly aware of their fragility. No one wants to miss the next big thing and be left behind. If we go through each giant very quickly, Apple, you have a company sprinting into wearables, also continuing to embrace this additional vertical integration by owning the core technologies powering its devices. In essence, Apple is mapping a post-iPhone path forward. Google's alphabet reorganization was designed to better manage the various bets that the company had placed. I do think one can argue this reorganization hasn't exactly gone terribly well for Google from a management and leadership perspective. However, it does look like Alphabet has become more financially disciplined when it comes to placing long-term bets. For Facebook, the past few years, at their annual developers conference, Mark Zuckerberg has gone on stage and announced this grand vision, this ambitious initiative for where the company is headed in the future. In 2016, it was virtual reality. In 2017, it was augmented reality. Today, you see Facebook dialing things back a little bit, putting more resources in cameras and video. So pretty broad topics, but it's clear that Facebook knows they have to move beyond just words and just text. Microsoft. The move away from consumer markets symbolized management accepting that it missed the mobile revolution. Instead, you have management staking out a differentiated path forward, and the company has been rewarded for that strategy on Wall Street. And of course, we have Amazon, a company focused on expanding its vertical integration to product and delivery, essentially upending every part of the legacy retail complex. While the giants have become more ambitious and willing to take on new challenges, notice how there's been very little change to their cultures and their overall processes. I think that's important to consider when we start thinking about tomorrow's giants. At this point of the episode, we're going to do a little bit of a case study. We're going to focus on Apple. Apple management is well aware that they are trying to do the seemingly impossible, remain relevant. If you go to this week's article, Exhibit 2, I have the market capitalization of the largest company in S&P 500. There's a theme. No company has remained at the top. You have companies like AT&T, IBM, Exxon, GE, Microsoft. They may be at the top for considerable amounts of time, but eventually they are replaced by a new giant, by a new leader. Aside from a few luxury brands, very few companies have been able to avoid what appears to be the inevitable fall from grace. So Apple management knows they are facing quite the challenge in terms of holding on to that relevancy. When we think about Apple's future, I don't think it's going to be determined by the iPhone, Apple Watch, services. Instead, Apple's future will be based on the company's ability to come up with valuable tools for people. This reality is dependent on a few ingredients. So these are the three things that I think Apple will need 
to come up with those valuable tools for people. One, deep collaboration among teams within Apple. Two, an intense focus on design. Another way of saying how Apple products are used. And the third item, correct market positioning and timing. I actually think that those attributes are a design offshoot because they do relate to how people will use Apple tools. When we look at Tim Cook, I think he's misunderstood as Apple's CEO. Many have been grading Cook as if he is Apple's product visionary. That's not the case. Instead, Cook is tasked with managing something more important than any one product. Cook is looking over the process used to develop products. He's overseen major changes to the way Apple is managed on a day-to-day basis. He's doubled down on positioning Apple's industrial design group as purveyors for the experience found with using Apple products. He's overseen internal changes to foster deeper collaboration between industrial designers, those who oversee Apple's product vision, and other teams on the front line of new technologies. That kind of change is essential as we move into the artificial intelligence and machine learning era. The recent hiring of a chief of machine learning and AI strategy emphasizes this last point. We can look at Apple Park, Apple's new headquarters. Apple now has a design studio that's able to foster a greater level of idea dissemination versus what was possible at Apple's old headquarters. We also have Apple moving deeper into owning core technologies. That's a bet that will give Apple competitive advantage measured in decades. Not only is Apple working on developing the required technologies for new product categories, but management is also waiting for the correct market timing. We can look at the transportation industry. I don't think transportation is quite right for a company like Apple to enter. Not yet. However, given the significant amount of change that we see unfolding in the space, I think an eventual move by Apple into transportation is inevitable. Such a move may be associated with Apple relying on different processes to monetize premium experiences. Management's ability to embrace that kind of change gives Apple the best chance of continuing to build tools for people in the future. The thing about waiting for the right time to move, it's a freedom. Apple never had that freedom 20 years ago, given a much weaker balance sheet back then. In fact, we can look at today's five giants and make the same claim. They each have freedom to embrace new processes, embrace change. The problem is, It's incredibly difficult to do. And just because you have freedom, just because you have cash, you have time, that's not enough. That's not enough to put what you have today at risk. To put today's success in the rearview mirror in order to look ahead, in order to embrace the unknown. I think not enough people look at Apple's move into wearables as such a risky move for the company. We have Apple basically taking the iPhone business and little by little, 
coming up with alternatives to the iPhone. For most companies, that idea wouldn't go far. It would be viewed as a disaster in the making. Management teams would be afraid that investors will turn on them, that boards will turn on them, sales will start to go down. This is why I think it's important to look at how these giants are embracing new ideas, embracing change. Because it is that change that will determine if these companies remain tomorrow's giants. Barring some kind of global slowdown in economic activity, there will likely be at least one trillion dollar company among today's giants. Over the next three years, it is certainly possible that there will be multiple trillion dollar companies. If we go back to current market caps, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, they all exceed $800 billion. So to claim that one, two, three, or more will hit a trillion-dollar market cap, that's not exactly a stretch. However, instead of this milestone, this arbitrary trillion-dollar mark, representing the start of a new chapter for these giants, it should serve as a reminder that these companies are fragile. And there will be a never-ending supply of new companies coming up with new processes for delivering experiences and value to the world. Many people think there will be growing competition or wars between today's giants. It used to be Apple versus Microsoft. Then it was Apple versus Google. Now I think some people think it's Apple versus Amazon. I don't think it's likely that you're going to see growing competition between today's giants. Instead, the competition will come from other directions. It will come from new companies possessing dramatically different business models and processes. The strongest opponents in the giants' battle to remain relevant end up being themselves. The natural aversion to change will simply be too strong for most giants. Strong balance sheets, billions of users, access to seemingly unlimited user data will all prove futile in their bids to remain relevant. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy the type of analysis found in this podcast episode and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you'd be interested in checking out Above Avalon membership. Above Avalon members receive all of my analysis and perspective on Apple throughout the week. The cornerstone of Above Avalon membership is access to my exclusive daily updates about Apple. Daily updates revolve around Apple business and strategy analysis, Apple earnings and financial estimates, my perspective and observations on current news, Apple competitors, and keynotes and events. If it is of interest to Apple, it is something I pay attention to. Above Avalon members also have access to my in-depth reports on Apple strategy, my Apple earnings model. Those are two new items that I recently launched. For more information on Above Avalon memberships and to sign up, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two membership options, monthly and annual. The monthly membership is $20 per month and the annual membership is $200 per year. 
I am proud to say Above Avalon is fully sustained by membership. So if you are already an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you're thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, definitely head on over to AboveAvalon.com. Check out the membership page. Also check out the daily updates page. That gives you the headlines and a brief summary of what each daily update is about. It's basically the daily updates archive. And as a member, you can go back and read previous daily updates. If you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a rating or review for the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. One way of doing that is through Apple's podcast app. Just go to the page for the Above Avalon podcast and then scroll basically all the way down until you hit ratings and reviews. Then you'll see options to leave a rating or write a review. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.